This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. What's up, everybody, and welcome into episode 110 of Small Talk. Steve Cerruti and Michelle Smallman here with you. And Cerruti, I can't believe we're at episode 110. It feels like just yesterday we recorded our episode 100. Yeah, time flies when you're not doing anything. <laughs> you're <laughs> hanging out in quarantine. What's up? 100 flew by. So, of course, we're, through, you know, we're 10 more here. We're a tenth of the way to 200, which is wild. And by the way, in the background here, I have, for those potentially watching who are actually none because we're not live, it makes no sense. But for <laughs> you specifically, I have the St. Louis City FC uh, scarf up there, SC scarf, which is, uh, which is amazing. And it's now a, I'm proudly displaying in my office here. So I have to say, thank you for displaying it. It looks amazing. But where you're sitting, you're obstructing it. It needs more of a, a prominent spot so that when you're doing these these zooms with me or you're doing hits with somebody that they can see st louis city loud and proud so maybe i'll sit over here i got the everton i've got roma i've got messi and then i've got st louis city and then i got the u.s one up on on my left here so i got it maybe i'll position myself here but then then the whole room's out of whack i don't know i gotta do some interior decorating yeah can we swap st louis city and everton well, no, because that, that, <laughs> the, the, no, I, I have much more history with Everton. That, that's, I can't do that just yet. Maybe if, uh, if, if your boys end up coming out of the gate strong, I can make the jump. But right now, Everton are my boys. Speaking of soccer, Steve, how about my Foxes? A huge win over Manchester City. What was the final score? 5-2. Five five three penalties. 5-2, to two, I believe, for my Foxes. And I got to tell you. I love this team. They are so fun to watch. It seems like ever since I became a fan of this team, they are rocking and they are rolling. They are. They're undefeated. They're top of the table. They're the best team in the league. And this was after I had a lot of questions about whether or not they were going to be that good this year because they had a really disappointing end to last season. And Shelly comes in and all of a sudden, boom, morale's high. Everybody's pumped up. Vardy scoring goals left and right. They're getting PKs all over the place. And they're beating Manchester City, who I told you I thought was the best team in the league. They just embarrassed them at home. I picked the Foxes. I put all of my good juju and all of my support behind them. I'm following Vardy on all social platforms. Mm. I'm all in on Vardy. I love his story. I love this team. And it shouldn't surprise you that I'm a good luck charm because I told you about my stuff with the Cardinals and the Pants, right? No. What? Okay, so back in 2011 when the Cardinals were in the postseason, I wore a pair of red jeans to every Cardinals home game that I personally went to and they won every time. So then I carried it over to 2012, same deal, still undefeated. 2013, Steve, same deal. Now, when I moved to Connecticut, I tried to wear the red pants while I watched a game, didn't work. They have to be in the stadium and on my body for the juju to work, but it worked last year too in the NLDS. So I just got to tell you, this is not my first rodeo being a good luck charm. That's a lot of pressure on you. That's a, that's a lot to live up to, especially a pants situation. Are the pants still in style? Because it's we're going back, you said 2013? Like, are they, I mean- 2011. 2011. Listen, I know the pants I was wearing in 2011 would not be cool in 2020. So what's the deal here? Yeah, they're um, a little tighter. Okay. Than they might have yeah, been that's what in it is. You know? um, they're a pair of red J brand jeans, and they're not bootleg, but they're not skinny on the ankle the mm. way that I would prefer them to be today. You so can't what roll I, them. I, I was just gonna say I kind of like tuck them in a little, like a cool roll into my ankle boots, and we make it work. We make it work. You do strike me as someone who would be very superstitious as far as sports. Oh my god. 
am I superstitious? <laughs> That's the biggest given of all time. You know that I am. You know I believe in all of that stuff. I believe in energy. I believe in a collective group of people doing a bunch of weird things and, and having it work. And the I juju mean, out there, good juju, the juju, bad juju. Steve, it's only weird if it doesn't work. When I played soccer, I played soccer my whole life. When I was a senior in high school, we went on a run. We ended up going to state. There was all sorts of stuff that I did same socks. I would have to tape my shoes the same way. I had these things that I put over my shoes that I had to have every time. I had to have a lemon lime Gatorade. That was very big as far as the superstition and the juju went. So yeah, I mean, I have some experience here. Everything about me, you would think that would go against being superstitious that I would not be a superstitious person. But when it comes to sports, it's really hard not to be superstitious. It's hard to like put that, like I'll sit in the same spot in the same chair. If for, for example, if Rome was playing in, a, in like the first half, right? And they have a really good first half. I will not move from that spot. If, really? For some reason, in my mind, if I move, that's going to change the karma and the juju around the team, and they're going to give up goals in the second half. So I will sit there. And then vice versa, if things don't go well, I change spots. I'll sit on a different side of the sofa. I'll sit across the room. I'll get a different drink. And I know none of this makes any sense. And I know in my mind, it doesn't make any sense. But I cannot overcome it. Like, it's like, I have to do it. Now, do you have any continuing superstitions pregame or is it just during no. the game that you'll adjust? It's mostly during the game because I don't think about it before the game. I only think about it during the game. So if it's like a good first half, I'll do what I've been doing the entire time. I don't like to change anything. I guess that should be terribly surprising. But from someone like me, like you should know, like I don't ooze any of those or I don't put out any of those characteristics, I think. I'm pretty skeptical of a lot of things and I think a lot of things are stupid. But this is one of those traps that I can't get out of. I'm fully superstitious. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. Just a little stitious. <laughs> is it the most on-brand thing that I'm superstitious yeah. and the most off-brand thing about you that you are superstitious too? No, it's very on-brand for you to, you know, the rally cap, all of that stuff. Oh, anything, yeah. anything old school baseball superstitions, that's very on-brand for you. And even I'm surprised by my own superstition. It's ridiculous. I, I know it's stupid, but it, I can't not do it. I can't explain it. It's one of the greatest things in sports, though, to feel that invested in something and feel like you have some sort of minuscule control over the outcome of the game and of the team that you love succeeding. It's part of the reason why we love sports so much. It's what makes sports fun. Yeah. And I, as I've grown older, I feel like my fandom has gone down on certain things. Me too. But on, on the teams that I, that I do really care about, which are typically the teams that we don't cover in our sports jobs, yeah. those are the teams that I still, I still feel like a 12-year-old when I watch the games. Well, that's why I love my Foxes, this, this yep. new team, because I don't know anyone personally. I haven't been jaded by them yet. So far, it's been an unbelievable ride. It's Isn't really the fun. atmosphere of, and I've tried to explain this to people, and for people that are listening, if you're not into the Premier League, check it out. Because watching games in the morning, the atmosphere on NBC is unlike anything. It's so intense, so early in the morning. NBC's coverage is really good. Obviously, all the British accents are, are great, and they add to mm -hmm. the drama of the situation. And then you get these games, and there's always drama in the games as well. And, and yeah, the Foxes were great. And Manchester City were talking some shit afterwards, too, because they were like, oh, you know, because they went up 1-0 in the game, and then they ended up losing 5-2. They gave up a bunch of penalties, and it was a lot of their fault. But they were like, oh, Leicester just sat back. They didn't really come and try to play us. All they did, all they did was try to get us on the counterattack. And you're like, you guys lost 5-2. Can you just shut up? You got embarrassed. You shouldn't be talking about the way Leicester played. Plus, I know you, you don't necessarily know this right now, but Leicester have played the same way for like a decade. They sit back and they hit you on the counterattack. You should know this by now. And they won a title a couple years ago playing that way. So figure it out, dude. I don't want to hear this bullshit from Manchester City and their fans complaining about style of play. Up the Foxes. 
up the foxes and you know that's a loser's mentality it is to, com- to complain about another team's style of play if you don't like it play better and that's what the foxes are three and oh because they don't do stuff like that Steve. that's right top of the table and then you know who's in second <laughs> everton so what's up oh so this could be something where this goes down to the wire and we become enemies Probably not because Liverpool is probably going to win the league and that sucks, but it'll be good for, for Mr. Smallman, your dad. But yeah, we'll be fighting for European places for sure. So this could oh. be a budding rivalry. Uh, I can't wait for that. But while we are at odds potentially in the EPL, we are together as one, Steve, with the Cardinals. And as you know, the, Car- the Cardinals start postseason play today. We're taping this on a Wednesday. Cardinals, Padres, first round of the playoffs. Steve, this is a huge matchup for the Cardinals, who have endured a lot this season. As you know, I know you've been I, I know, yeah. I've, I've been real locked in, you know, game <laughs> one, uh, and that's where it stopped. But I was really in on game one. And uh, I totally understood the vibe of this team. I knew from that one game that they, there were big things ahead of them. So shouts out to the Cardinals. Can't say I'll be watching the game, but I'll be rooting for them. Come on, Steve. Can you give me just today? Well, you know, it's funny. We, we're going to do a segment in a little bit about things that we'd rather do than watch a second presidential debate. I have a feeling you have a Cardinals-related re- one for me, and I may I turn it on myself. So let's wait until we do that. Well, why don't we just jump into that right now? So we are taping this on a Wednesday, and it was almost as if we had to do an emergency taping because we're taping part two of this with our friend George Sedano later in the week to talk, obviously, Lakers heat. NBA Finals. He is the perfect person to talk about this matchup with because not only is he an NBA guy, he's from Miami, covered the Heat, covered LeBron and the Heatles, and he's been in LA for a few years covering the Lakers. So he is the guy to talk to about this. So we can't wait to do that. But we had to sign on and do kind of an emergency beginning of the pod breakdown because the first presidential debate was last night and Steve and I are still reeling. I think America is still reeling from the absolute shit show that we witnessed last night. Oh, so Steve, I don't know if you have any opening comments before we get into what we're going to do, but I'll just tell you this. I settled in. I was drinking water within three minutes. I had cracked open a bottle of wine. I was ready to go. I made an espresso. I was had some snacks in front of me. I'm like, oh, it was like movie night in a way. And it ended up kind of being that way to some extent. Um, a horror film. I don't know what it would have gotten on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes, but it was uh, it was kind of like a movie night. So I was ready. I was pumped. And three minutes in, Maddie turns to me and she's like, we need alcohol. <laughs> we need some al- How are we going to get through this thing? And it was one of those situations where I felt like it was so bad. It was so uncomfortable but I couldn't stop watching it. I couldn't, I, I wanted to know what the next thing that happened was. And uh, I don't feel like I was satisfied at the end, but I also was, I kind of was happy I watched it. I was not happy I watched it. If I could go back in a time machine, I would not watch it. I had a splitting headache afterwards. It felt like someone was stabbing me in the brain with a knife through my eyeball. And I couldn't sleep. I just kept watching the breakdown afterwards. I think Jake Tapper said it best when he said that was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. And then Dana Bash right after that was like, I'm sorry, but we could say this. It was a shit show. And I was like, yeah. whoa. We she go. goes, we're on cable. I can say it. And I was like, thank you. That's exactly what it was. It was the definition of a shit show. It, that was the only thing that you could say about it. And th- listen, this is not political. This is partisan. We don't want anything to do with politics here. But obviously, we want to talk about what happened. And I don't think anyone got anything out of the entire situation. I don't think there was anything productive done. It was just a, a show And what's that movie or meme or whatever I always see that, you know, everyone's dumber for having heard it. That's how I felt after watching that. It was like Billy Madison. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I also kind of want to start a GoFundMe for Chris Wallace's therapy that he's going to need after this, because I think I need therapy after that. And if I was the moderator that could not get control of the situation, I don't know how you recover from that. I don't know how you bounce back from that. It was so intense and stressful. I would be like, I'm tapping out. I am not, I've got to get out of media. I cannot ever do anything like this ever again. That and I think, you know, Joe Biden straight up called the president of the United States in a debate in front of probably a hundred million people. He called him a clown. And that was that wouldn't make the top twenty-five most interesting things from that. Maybe top hundred most interesting things from that debate. It was a mess. It was just yelling. It was just what was it, I, two hours long? Two hours of yelling. I tweeted, this is literally what Twitter must be like in real life. They're acting out a Twitter argument in someone's de- in, in someone's mentions in real life. That was what's happening there. No one was listening uh, to each other. They were arguing about different things most of the time, and it was almost incoherent. That is such a great call, Steve. It was the personification of a really gross Twitter debate. Yeah. And you're right. Between the a question, couple of eggs. Yeah, between two <laughs> egg avatars. The question could have been do you enjoy Cheetos? And the response would have been, well, I'm going to tell you why he has the worst taste in candy. And you're like, what? How have we gotten so far away from what the question is? It was so stressful. And I would almost rather do anything on planet earth than watch another presidential debate like that. It was awful. So I texted this to you and this is what we're going to do. It was that bad that I want to play a little game of would you rather. A little game of would you rather watch another presidential debate like what we saw last night or do X. So there are some that I wrote for myself and some that I wrote for you. Is that kind of how you frame this as well? I mostly have one. Some of them are pointed at you and some of them are for both of us to to debate. I actually have a lot and I like all of them. Oh, you have, how many do you have? (laughs) Uh, Probably 10 or so. Oh, okay. I think I have one, two, three, four. I did five. So let me go first because this is an easy one. This is a layup right off the bat. Okay. Would you rather watch another debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, or would you rather spend 90 minutes with Stan Kroenke? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, definitely 90 minutes with Stan Kroenke, because I would just berate him the entire time. I would Honestly, I would rather watch you hang out with Stan Kroenke for 90 minutes than watch another debate. Well, you saw it in person at a Super Bowl party. Well, it wasn't I 90, it wasn't 90 minutes. You guys just, yeah, you basically just told him your, you know, your piece. You said your piece, and, and then you, know, you moved on. But think about this. I hate Stan Kroenke maybe more than anyone else on planet Earth. And I was able to uh, make my feelings known to him without calling him names or without yelling or raising my voice. And I had had some cocktails. So. And, it, and it was loud as shit. It was, it was like a nightclub. It was loud as hell. So I don't even know. It was one of those situations where you're like whispering in each other's ears or yelling in each other's ears trying to get you know the words in. But that was one of my most proud moments of you of all time. And I was so hyped when that happened. I snapped a picture of it. For those of you that don't know, I have a picture on my phone, a blurry picture of Michelle basically giving Stan Kroenke the business in the middle of some (laughs) warehouse party that Barstool Sports threw. One of the best pictures I have on my phone, even though it's not clear. Yeah, that was intense. It was, uh, but that was the time that I knew. I was like, Michelle's cool as shit right after that happened. Um, Because not a lot of people would do what you did in that scenario. I forget if it was you or Goldie Jr., maybe Rosenberg. One of the guys that we were talking to afterwards was like, I can't believe 
that you weren't scared to go up to him and say that. And I was like, are you kidding? That guy should be afraid of me. He should be afraid of people like me that he screwed over. People like me that he lied to. People like me who aren't afraid to hold him accountable for the things that he's done. What was he going to do? Ban me from Walmart? Good. I don't shop there anyway. I'm a Target shopper. So see and, you later. And you had been preparing for however long, you know, whenever they had left or moved or decided to move and the bad blood was created, you had been preparing from that moment for the moment of talking to Stan Kroenke. You were ready to go and fired up. Like no one was more prepared in that moment than you were. So I, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all that it happened. Most people just wouldn't do it. I know that you were prepared. You were going to, you know, say your piece and be respectful about it, but also make sure you knew you didn't like him very much. But mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of people would go up to an NFL owner at a random party and be like, hey man, you did something pretty shitty. You can say a lot of things about me, but if I'm anything, it's someone who holds integrity high. And I said on many platforms Loyalty, to yeah. many people how much I hate this person. And if I had a chance to say something to him, I would. And I am not going to back down from a moment like that. That moment was like a gift from God for shoot me. Shoot your shot. You shot <laughs> your shot. shot. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I feel like I couldn't have never looked myself in the mirror if I saw him in a room and I didn't go up to him and at least say, hey, what you did was wrong. And there's people like me who know it and who are never going to forget and who are going to hold you accountable. The kids call you a real one, Michelle. You're a real one. Oh my God. Thank you, Steve. I, I really appreciate that. And you know what? Shout out to the kids. Shout out shout, to the kids. Shout out to the youth. Back to the game. So here's, Steve, something that I would like to propose to you. Okay. Would you rather watch another presidential debate or watch 162 games of a Cardinal season? Presidential debate. Oh, no. Oh, what? Michelle, Come on. Michelle, if you were to say like one baseball game, I'd probably... That's a good, 162 is the wrong call. It's one baseball game versus one debate. You know what I mean? Because that I only have to invest 90 minutes in a debate. I'd have to invest hours upon, hundreds of hours watching baseball. So the debate, you were to say, if I was to watch one Cardinals playoff game or another debate, I'd probably watch a Cardinals playoff game. What? How can you even equate the two? One is pure joy, the other is pure hell. Well, one of them, I'm going to be bored. The other one, I'm going to be annoyed. So I guess I'd rather be bored and then, then be annoyed again. You're not going to be bored. We've got some great pitching on deck today. The mm. Padres have a really, really exciting team. Great offense. I mean, I don't know what you're, I don't know how you find baseball boring. It's, it is the biggest problem that we have in our friendship that you find baseball boring. Yeah, I know. And I tried. I did. But no, just, you barely tried. It's not for you me. Watch, you watch one game. Here we are. You say, hey, Michelle, you should get into the EPL. What do I do, Steve? I have you pick me a team. I invest three days of my life watching games because I want to do that for you. I buy in so that we can have this. You gave me one game and they went snooze, forget it. But I've watched baseball before. I understand baseball and there's 162 games compared to, well, there's 38 games in EPL, but it's more, it's a once a week thing, Michelle. It's not like this big commitment, whereas baseball's nightly. You have to watch nightly and I can't do that. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Actually, Steve, you do have time for that. Come on, we're in a pandemic. Well, that's we're true. not doing that's anything true. else. That's we're true. in a pandemic. We how have dare nothing. you tell me how to spend my time? <laughs> we have nothing else to do. So don't give me that. And it was only 60 games this year. The Cardinals didn't even play 60. Um, mm, yeah, I don't know. Shortened season and all, I still I think I would still watch a debate. Well, though, okay. one but one game, one playoff game, probably give me the baseball game. Uh, all right. This one is this one is because I know I would love to do this, but I want to get your interest on it. Would you rather watch another debate or all three Lord of the Rings extended editions in one sitting. That's over 12 hours of movies. Ugh. 
I'm going Lord of the Rings though, because at least that has a narrative and a story that I could possibly get behind. And maybe just maybe in some of those battle scenes or whatever it is that they do, like the gnomes or the, what no gnomes. Like the trolls. No, no gnomes. I don't there's even know what the deal is. Dwarfs. Uh, what do we got? Uh, my bad, my bad. Not elves, gnomes, but dwarves and elves. elves. Yeah. Maybe, wizards. Yeah. Maybe I could catch a nap in there. I know that there's some. <laughs> no, no. No, come on. Uh, I actually think you would like, I mean, the problem is it's so long and I wish the extended verses were eight hours. Like for example, there's three movies, the three original ones, there's three. First one, I think the extended edition is three and a half. Second one is four. And it's the last one, Return of the King, which is arguably one of the greatest movies of all time is mm -hmm. I think four and a half hours extended version. They're great movies. If they were shorter, I actually think you would like the story though. Legolas, I think you would love Legolas. Um, you would definitely love Aragorn. You like friendship and camaraderie and fighting for a goal. You would like this movie, even though it's a little bit of a fantasy theme. Yeah, you kind of lost me with the names there, but whatever, I'd rather watch- Those who know, know. I would rather watch 12 hours of gnomes and dwarves and- Yeah, no whatever gnomes. It, whatever it is you just <laughs> talked about than ever watch a presidential debate like that ever again. All right. um, okay, Steve, would you rather watch another presidential debate like that or be locked in a room and have to watch The Lobster on loop for 72 hours. Okay, I have this one down. Would you rather watch The Lobster or Manchester by the Sea again? And I had that for you. I'm happy I watched The Lobster, even though I never want to watch it again. So I actually think I would watch the debate again, because The Lobster, I don't think I need to see that ever again. I don't think I need to see a debate like that ever again in my entire life. That caused me so much stress and anxiety. It was like my body was coiling up into itself and was on the verge of exploding. That's what I felt like. At least with the lobster, I was annoyed and a bit bored. And I would take annoyed and a bit bored over potential brain explosion. Yeah, the, the lobster anyway. wasn't harmful to your health. <laughs> Correct. The lo How about this? We'll just settle it this way. The lobster didn't force me to drink. The that, lobster well, did not cause me to have to medicate myself with alcohol. That is fair. All right. Um, it's a tough call. If I hadn't seen The Lobster, I would have picked The Lobster because I want to watch it the first time. But having already seen it, I think I would, I think I would pick the debate. But if you, okay. if you said to me, because I haven't seen Manchester by the Sea, I'd rather watch Manchester by the Sea, even though you think it's the worst movie that you've seen in a long time. I'd rather watch that than watch the debate. It wasn't the worst movie I'd seen in a long time. It's just so morose. And I just thought it was such a travesty that Casey Affleck won Best Actor. Playing a sulking guy from New England, not a stretch. <laughs> like, we get it, yeah. Um, we very get on it. brand. Very on brand. Okay, I have one for you, Steve. Would you rather watch Donald Trump and Joe Biden and another presidential debate or get shot in the neck with a horse tranquilizer gun like Will Ferrell in old school? Uh, ooh. If I knew that I was not going to be in harm, <laughs> like my life wasn't going to be in harm because that is like, a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. No, you kinda... would survive. You would definitely survive. Okay, so I'd basically just be out for a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. shoot me in the neck with a tranquilizer gun. It was kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, Will Ferrell seemed to have a good time. So yeah, why not? I just picture you going, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're crazy, man. I like you, but you're crazy. Here's the thing, too. That's a great story to tell to your friends, too. Like, I, I took a tranquilizer dart to the neck. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, totally. Tell Sean William Scott to fire it up because I'm taking the dart, too. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see here. This is a good one. Would you rather watch another presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden or hang out and get drunk with Mark and Jessica from Love is Blonde? Oh, wow. <laughs> You're really hitting me in the, in the, the heart with this one. Um, I would rather hang out with Mark and Jessica because at least I'm drunk. 
So would it be worse if you were so okay, how about this? You're sober, they're drunk. Oh wow. <laughs> oh man. Drunk Messica, sober me. I don't think you're understanding how much I'd never want to watch that debate again. I would pick hanging out with them Ooh. sober while they're wasted before I watch that debate again. I need to find one that would make you watch a debate again. Because right now it seems like you are overwhelmingly not going to watch a debate no matter what. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to even speed up to the one that I put, the most severe one I put on here. Okay. Dude, I wrote down that I would rather live in Connecticut again for another three years than watch a debate like that. That's saying a lot because you hated living. Now, I will, I've always maintained that you didn't live in the right part of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You didn't know the right people at the right time in Connecticut. You True. would leave often to go to the city, which I don't blame you for because New York City is definitely cooler than most parts of Connecticut. So I don't actually think it's that bad. But knowing you, I know how much of a sacrifice that would be. So I don't know. What's your answer? I would rather live in Connecticut for three years than watch another debate like that again. I mean, I'm packing my scars, my sweaters. We're going to Central Connecticut well, because I, can, I cannot deal with that ever again. I mean, you're picking the perfect time to come. Now, here's the thing, though, and this is why I have a hard time with long-term things versus the 90-minute debate is you'd really subject yourself to three years of something you know you don't like versus 90 minutes. Steve, I think I need therapy after that debate. Like, you do not understand. I didn't sleep a minute. I was so stressed People are probably listening to this being like, you need to get over it. But it was, you know what upset me? There were so many things about it that upset me. But I think it was just one perfect example of the deterioration of our society. So many things about it represented so many things that I find very bothersome in America today. Like what happened to respect? What happened to decorum? What happened to elegance? What happened to empathy? There's just so many things about it. You put it perfectly when you said it was the personification of a Twitter debate. It was the personification of the fact that nobody listens to each other anymore. People are just hateful and no one wants to in any way try to come together to move forward. Everyone is selfish. It only matters what I think in this moment and I'm going to do or say whatever it takes and cut you down or cut you off as many times as I need to, to get my point across. And it's gross. It's the thing gross. that I, the thing that I, and all those points are great. And the thing that I took away from it was like how in maybe the most trying time in my lifetime, probably our lifetimes, how is this what we have? How is this the best we can do? Again, not even trying to be political. That's the scary part to me was, okay, this is what we have to offer and what might be the most important couple of years uh, in the future here. But anyway, let's not try to get too more depressed. Let's, say, let's keep this fun. Okay. Because uh, I got a bunch more for you here. Okay. Would you rather babysit your friend's kids for a weekend, multiple kids for a weekend by yourself or watch another debate? Oh, Aunt Michelle, let's get it on. You know, you don't know how much I love being Aunt Michelle. I Oh, uh, well, there's a difference between hanging out and buying them presents and being around them with their parents versus you babysitting kids for a weekend. But my friend's kids are at like the two and a half year age, which is a really fun age. They're at the age where they're hyped up like little kids on Coke where they're like, bouncing off the walls and everything is high energy and shit's breaking left and right. Like that's the age you're talking about between two, like what, two years old, two and three. I'm terrible with ages of kids. But that to me is like a nightmare. You would never sleep. You would be waking up at 6 a.m. or earlier every single night. You would constantly be a disciplinarian. You got to deal with messes left and right. And again, over the course of a weekend versus 90 minutes of another debate. 
Yeah, but you know what you just described was at least I'm getting to play with kids and there's cuteness involved. Everything else you described was the debate. Fair. <laughs> that is fair. Okay. I don't think there's going to be one thing I have on my I've got a bunch left. I don't know if there's going to be anything that you're going to say you'd rather watch the debate over. So uh, how about this? Would you rather, do you have a TikTok? Oh no. And you may have hit a sweet spot here. Would you rather create a TikTok account and post all those stupid dance videos you really have to do it, like try to do the, you know, whatever the, whatever Charlie or. I don't know. Addison what, what made. is it? What do I need to do? Can you give it's me more? The, you know, like the moving around thing where they do the no, arm stuff. And show then they me. Do the, can you continue this, to show and me? And then this and all this weird, all these dance moves that I don't really understand. And clearly I feel a hundred years old whenever I watch them. You have to create a TikTok account and make an account full of those videos or watch a I debate. I think I would rather watch two more debates. than yes. make a TikTok <laughs> <Yeah>. account <laughs> we and did do it. the dances. There's probably nothing else on earth I wouldn't want to do more than make a TikTok account and do those dances. Mm. Okay. Would you rather, now this is pre-COVID where you can go and do things, okay? Okay. Would you rather watch another debate or go to a Nickelback concert and have to post on social media about it? Ooh. And I have to stay the whole time? You have to stay the whole time and you have to post about it on social media so everyone knows that you went to a Nickelback concert. And I can't say I was forced to go nope. to this Nickelback concert. Nope, it has to be like, maybe like a lyric with a, with a photo of a song or a video. It can't, can't just be, be, look at this photograph. It can't that, just be no, no, it, no, it could be look at this photograph. That's actually pretty good. That's a good one. That's A plus content, actually. I think I would rather go to the Nickelback concert just because I think it would give us interesting conversations on the pod. Mm. I think there'd be good people watching there, there and I, I would come back with a tale or two. There would be good people watching. And I'll say this, this might be a controversial take and I'm not a Nickelback fan, but I do think Nickelback gets a little bit too much shit. They're not a great band, but they're not the worst band I've ever heard. There are plenty of other terrible acts that I've, I mean, come on, they're not that bad. You know, I'm kind of in the camp of, I think Nickelback gets the appropriate amount of shit. <laughs> no way. They are universally thought of as the worst band. And they're not, there's got to be worse bands. I mean, I'm trying to think of stuff off the top of my head that I would rather not listen to. I don't know. There's a lot of pop that's terrible now. I don't know. But Nickelback, yeah, they're not great. I wouldn't listen to them unless someone made me listen. I mean, I would go to a concert to people watch, but I just feel like they get a little bit too much shit. I don't even know how to recover from maybe, that. Maybe maybe a scorching hot take. I don't know. And I'm sure this people will roast me for it. But not that I biggest bomb you've ever dropped. It's not even a bomb. I'm defending Nickelback while also saying that I don't like Nickelback. But I just don't understand why everybody hates them. Do you think Nickelback is worse than Creed? They're the same. They're the same band, aren't they? Really? One of them's a little bit of a Christian rock band, but yeah. I'm trying to think of Creed's pretty is. bad. Who else is in that same category? Now, here's the thing. If you, if, it's a red flag. If you go on a date with someone, you're like, hey, you know, we both like music. Like, what's your favorite band? And somebody says, oh, I, I really like Nickelback. That's a red flag, period. And but they're not it, saying it ironically. They're no, they're theory. saying like, I'm a big Nickelback fan. That's a, that would be a red flag. But again, they're not the worst band I've ever heard. I don't know. They might be. Mm, tell us if I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. I just feel like there's so much shit pop right now. And even shit pop when we were growing up that I'm like, eh, I don't know. Nickelback. They could be worse. I really uh, right. want to think of a band that's worse than Nickelback. Should I Google it quickly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's look this up. Wait, I just typed in bands worse, and the next thing was then Nickelback that populated. Okay, Who's, I got one. Go ahead. Train. <laughs> oh, Train's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, train's uh, really bad. I, ah, if you said to me, gun to my head, you got to listen to one of those two bands, 
You're picking Nickelback? I think I might pick Nickelback. Train's terrible. Terrible. Jupiter is kind of good. Oh, it's terrible. There's no substance to it. Then they have that. They sing the Hey Soul Sister song, right? Which is maybe my least favorite song of all time. Uh, so, yeah, I'd probably listen to Nickelback over, over Train. Um, I forget who sings this song, but I think maybe the worst song I've ever heard is Hey There, Delilah. Oh, Plain White Tees, I think, right? Did I get I that right? I wouldn't know because I hear the first three chords and I immediately turn it off. It's so morose and it's so yep, I got it right. easily and depressing. That's a bad one. It's but bad. again, here's the thing about Nickelback is they had like a ton of songs and a ton of albums. I only know a one point. Yeah, they, they do. Okay, let me look up their disc. I mean, Hey There Delilah is the only song I know by Plain White Tees. They didn't have that much success. Nickelback. Hold on, I'm looking this up right now. I would venture to guess at least four albums, a ton of singles. Again, I I feel like I'm being put in this position where I'm defending Nickelback, and I am defending Nickelback. All I'm saying is they're not the worst band I've ever heard. Here's one on the list, by the way. There's two on this list that I want oh to post to you. They have nine albums. That doesn't mean any of them are good. Mm. They won awards, just saying. Are they what? Canadian? They're Canadian, right? Yeah. Would they win like a musical version of a Razzie? Yeah, maybe. Uh, how about this? Would you rather listen to Carly Rae Jepsen or Nickelback? Carly Rae all day. Call Me Maybe is a bop. Mm, it's a terrible Come song. Come on, you know it is. You know that's a good song. That song comes on and I see you humming. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, that's a pretty bad song. And then didn't she have some other song? I don't know. But here's the problem with the, her. Again, she only has one song. Nickelback had a bunch of other songs and albums, so it's not a great comparison. I don't know. I'm going to get roasted for this. I already know it. When you have a song as prolific as Call Me Maybe, that's all you need. That's what all I right. need. Most move about, this thing along. <laughs> I have one more for you, though, because okay. I know how you're going to feel about this one. Oh, Would you rather listen to Nickelback or U2? I hate U2. I know you hate U2. Um, hate's a strong word. I just don't like their music. You know, it's just not for me. I don't think it's very good. So, <sighs> probably Nickelback. Probably Nickelback. But that's, that's more on me. I just really don't like U2. So it's been established on this podcast, Let the Record State, episode 110. It was revealed, Steve, huge, huge Nickelback guy. Nickelback, not in my bottom five favorite musical acts of all time. That's what we proved today. That's it. Two shocking things today. One, that you're superstitious. And two, that you lied for Nickelback. I know. I'm going to regret this podcast as soon as we post it. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you. Would you rather watch another presidential debate or have me delete this podcast? <laughs> Probably delete this podcast as we speak. Okay. Uh, give me one more. Okay. I have... Okay. This is a good one. Would you rather watch wrestling? I'm talking like WWE with the hardcore wrestling dudes or watch another presidential debate? When you say watch wrestling with the hardcore dudes, am I solo watching it on TV? No. Or am I in like a wrestling bar? Yeah, you're at a bar with a guy wearing a Triple H t-shirt. What is it? NWO or whatever? And oh, look at you, NWO, I think, right? And then uh, I don't know what, there, there's WWE, there's NXT, right? I don't, I don't know. Who knows? You I've always thought this, it was, like I have any idea what you're talking well, about. Well, you just said NWO is something. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's a group. I don't know if it's like different division or something. I don't know, but I've, I've never understood wrestling. Never. Doesn't make any I, sense to me. I would guess it stands for like national wrestling organization. Well, I think it stands for new world order, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be wrong on that one, but Oh, wow. Well, I think I would rather watch wrestling just because at least maybe there's some drama and some, you know, entertainment to it. 
is there? I kind of feel like it's the train wreck that the debate is. It's just dudes yelling at each other and, and said this time they could actually fight, but the fighting is not actually real. It's fake. And grown ass dudes get really worked up about it. I don't know anybody that's really into wrestling. So I, I know. Rosenberg. Him. Speaking oh, of Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah. Rosenberg. There are a lot of dudes that are sneaky into wrestling. And I just am like, it's an instant judgment for me. Really? How about this? You go on a date, two separate guys. What's the bigger red flag? One guy says he's really into Nickelback. The other guy's really into wrestling. Which one is the bigger red flag? And I can't say they're both equal red flags. You, you have to pick one. Mm. Which one, which one is getting the chop? Which is a bigger red flag? Oh God. Okay. So question for you, wrestling, how often does wrestling come on? I think it's like a couple nights a week. For how long? A couple hours. It's like a no, game. No, I, no, but I mean like, do they have a season? Does it last two months? Is there an off season? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like whenever I'm watching TNT to watch basketball games, they're always promoing some weird wrestling match that I have two people that I don't know about. So it seems like it's year round. And then there's a whole nut. That's not even the TNT one's totally separate to my understanding of WWE. WWE is like a whole nother channel or thing or pay-per-view. WrestleMania is like this big thing. And one of them was outdoors. I don't know. So it's like a year round investment. It's like watching sports year round. Because that's the way that I'm looking at Nickelback, right? Is that this guy, if we date, can throw on these songs at any time. There's no off season. So that's what I'm thinking in my mind. It's like, oh, maybe two mm -hmm. months of wrestling. I can just tune him out or just nod and smile or say, hey, we just have to not talk about this for two months. These are things that you will be dealing with for the remainder of your relationship. Oh, wow. Okay. I think then I might have to go Nickelback just because I could at least make fun of the Nickelback thing in kind of a jovial way, right? It could be like a funny, like, <laughs> this is my boyfriend. He likes Nickelback. Like, please don't judge him. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you next was imagine going up to your friends and just being like, hey, tell us about your new, your new whatever. And you're like, yeah, you know, you know, he's in shape. He likes to run. He's got a good job. You know, he's in finance. Also big Nickelback fan. <laughs> and they're just like, wait, what? No, I think that would be just a dirty secret between us. I would never tell any of my friends. Yeah, that would be one of those things that just like escapes out one night when you're drunk. Actually, that's the best way to phrase this is what would your friends judge more? That you're dating a Nickelback fan or that you're dating a guy who's super, super, super into wrestling? The answer to me would be the bigger red flag is the guy who's into wrestling. I just think about it from my perspective. I didn't grow up watching wrestling, but to me, it seems like something that's just that, something that you would grow out of, that you would watch when you were a kid and that you wouldn't be super into as an adult. And if you know it's fake, sorry to the kids listening to this podcast because we know small talk is for the kids. Small mm. talk, love the kids. But if you know <laughs> it's fake, why would you watch it? This is a question that I feel like I've asked wrestling, the wrestling guy for now two decades, and I have not yet to get an answer that was sufficient enough for me to be like, oh, that makes sense. Should I text Rosenberg and ask him? Mm. Or See, is here's the thing, though. Subject, like I was going to say, I wonder if he's going to get mad about it. I'm not trying to piss off wrestling guys. It's not like I don't, you know, we're probably yeah. not going to be friends, but. You're going to get body slammed, Steve. Don't piss off Yeah, well, guys. they don't actually body slam you. They just fake body. It's like gymnastics. They don't actually do anything. It's just like a, a rehearsed skit. So that, again, I don't understand it, but. If I had a friend who was into Nickelback and a friend that was into wrestling, I would judge the guy who was into wrestling way more than if he was into Nickelback. Well, okay. Now that we're talking through this, I might have talked myself into wrestling guy because I like reality TV, but how much of reality TV is scripted? A lot of it. And I'm That's still in. 
You know, like I was watching Selling Sunset on my trip and I know that shit's scripted and I was still yeah. watching it. It was terrible, but, at but it least, was something to fill time. And I'm, it's a good point that you bring up, but at least with reality TV and like the Housewives and Laguna Beach or whatever, they're like real life scenarios of people getting into arguments and doing all this shit. Wrestling is like dudes in leotards and onesies just flipping around, jumping off ladders onto each other and acting like things are serious. It's kind of weird if you think about it, you know? So yeah. I guarantee you wrestling guys are going to get mad at me and tell me that here's what you don't understand. Here's why it's so great. And those are great athletes. Maybe they are. I'm sure the rock is a great athlete. He was a great wrestler. I don't know, but I don't understand how as a grown person, you can be like, yep, watching this tonight. This is awesome. I don't know where you're hanging out, Steve, but at the bars I go to, there's guys in leotard and lace up (laughs) slamming each other around all the time. Hey man, whatever floats your boat, go ahead and like it. But again, we have the right to judge you for it. Well, speaking of altered reality, Steve, I want to talk to you about filters and I want to talk to you about apps that alter your appearance because there is someone that shall not be named that works in media who is a very beautiful person. She's very beautiful. But anytime she posts a picture, she facetunes or alters her face. Well, I don't even know what the apps are. I just assume it's facetune because that's the one that everyone always references. But she messes with her face so much and it's so obvious and it's so upsetting to both you and I. We constantly will take screenshots of it and text it back and forth and be like, is anyone going to say something to her? Like, why is she doing this to herself? She's so beautiful. So before this pod, I had said to you, hey, are we going to be on camera? Because I don't really feel like putting on makeup today. I don't feel like getting ready. I don't feel like getting dressed. And you go, don't worry. I can always just throw on a filter or I can face tune your face if need be. Yeah, I got you. (laughs) That's what kind of a friend you are to me, which I appreciate. But then it got us thinking, is there an app out there that face tunes or alters the appearance of dudes or for dudes? Well, you're right about the person we're talking about in the media. And she is an attractive person, and it, but it's also like she's half human, half anime character. And like nobody, <laughs> call, nobody calls her out. Maybe people call her out for her, I don't know, but it's, like it's so fake. How do you post this and think this is normal? Anyway, rant aside. So yes, then I thought, is there a men's face filter app that women want what they want their eyes bigger they want their skin clearer they want a little bit of blush i guess i would imagine who knows i don't know these are things i think they would want i don't even know what what are in these filters but then i was thinking what you want to you want a snatched waist yeah like maybe a skinny neck ish deal i I get it and then i was thinking what would men want in a filter because a, a filter for a woman is definitely not what a man would want in a filter i mean i guess yeah clear skin but not necessarily bigger eyes what would a man want he'd probably want like a more pronounced jawline, like a sharper jawline. Maybe his arms look a little bit bigger. Uh, maybe, yeah, upper body's bigger, waist is a little bit smaller. Um, maybe the hairline's a little bit better than it is in real life. And I asked you, is that, is that something that's available? And neither of us know the answer to it. And if not, I, I want to create it. I also think guys might want to alter their calves. Oh, uh, well, yes, that is true. Yeah. You know, we've talked to this, our, our guy, Golok Jr., he's very big into thighs and legs. And that is an important feature for guys as well. If you got skinny legs, Maybe beef up a little bit there as well. Yeah, all of a sudden you go from kind of a pine needle leg to like a big tree trunk with, yeah. the, with the swipe of a filter. So is this a billion dollar idea that we've come up with? Some sort of an app to make dudes more muscly? Or because does it already exist and we just don't know? I tried looking for it and maybe I'm just not in that scene enough to know what to I'm even search because I searched men's face apps or men's filter apps and they didn't really have anything specific that I could see. And if not... 
why should women only get filters? It's 2020. Dudes need filters too if you want to look good on Instagram. Come on. Like get that jawline looking good. Maybe yeah. clean that beard up a little bit, hairline, all that stuff. I think this is a good idea. Uh, well, I already found one. All quick right, well, quick all right. Google search. How about this one? Retouch men, abs and body editor. Whoa, look at this. Oh. Look, hold on. This guy goes from this to this. Gives him a little hair. Gives the oh, other guys. Good. Gives the other guy some abs. Like, wait for this. Oh, gives him tats. That's weird. Tattoos. You know what? I actually didn't think. Remember when Danny Cannell? What was the picture? I think it was when he was on that show Unite. It was like a beach photo shoot. He was in a bathing suit, had a towel around his neck, and he photoshopped himself abs. So blatantly photoshopped abs onto his body. I don't, you don't remember, remember that. that. No. Oh, oh my god. Me- let me br- I'm going to bring this up because it's, it's hilarious. And he jokes about it today. And I don't even know if he did it or if some PA did it. I don't know, but it was for the show. And it was very clearly a Photoshop picture of Danny with abs. That's amazing. Was this revealed before I was the producer? Because I would have never let that go. I, don't, I thought you were in on this. Hold on. Danny Cannell Beach Unite. Let me, let me put this up here. I don't know. Cannell something else. He really is. And he and here's the thing about Danny is that he would just have no shame when it came to that, which I kind of respect about him. Damn, it's boring. It's going to take Here's a the question though. Here's the question. If you use this app and you add abs to a picture of yourself and then people start to call you out on it. Like let's say it looks really great. Okay? The photo while it looks a little altered, you look hot and your arms are huge and your abs are popping. But then people start to hit you up being like, "Hey, we know you don't have abs. Did you add those from this app? Do you delete the pic or do you leave it up? Well, you have to leave it up, but it also, doesn't that work for, for girls too? It's like, oh, you don't look like this anime character that your photos would suggest you look like. I just feel like that's, do girls delete their photos? Probably not. I don't think anyone's telling the girls though, like, hey, we know you're altering these. And this is why we have these conversations all the time because I don't think anyone is saying to girls, hey, that's a bad edit job. You need to take it down. I think people are like, you look so pretty. All about positivity. Yeah, all about positivity. today. It's never like, hey, queen. your one eye is, slay queen, slay. <laughs> it's never like, oh, your one eye is drooped down your cheek. You should even that out a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm definitely for honesty when it comes to social media policy. But unfortunately, that's, that's just not what it's like in 2020. It's all about, you know, body positive. And I get it. Body positivity is very important, making sure everyone's included. And, and we have an inclusive type of environment here for all types of people, all shapes and sizes. That's fine. But I feel like we're doing people a disservice by not telling them that their Photoshop pictures are bad. Okay, so this is a very good litmus test for us because we are a very pro plastic surgery podcast. Very pro. We are very pro. Do whatever you need to do to yourself to make yourself feel good. So shouldn't that also apply to bad edit jobs on Instagram? Like if that makes you feel good to post that and makes your smile wider and your teeth look like veneers and it makes your waist look snatched, even though it's fake as hell, shouldn't we be just as equally positive about a bad retouch job as we are about a plastic surgery job? See, I think there's a difference between doing something and having it done well, or having a surgery and getting, I don't know, what would you get? Your lips done and they look really good versus bad. If they're bad, I feel like it's okay to call them out in the same way that I feel like a bad edit is worthy of being called out. All we're asking is to be better. Just try to be better. We think you deserve better. And that's why we're telling you this because I feel like if we didn't, we would be doing you a disservice. We're trying to help you. Don't act like if I got my lips done and they looked terrible, you would be like, ugh, bad. I I don't know if I would do it right away. You would never do that to me. I don't know if I would do it right away, but 
I think I, you know, if you ever let it slip that you didn't love the job, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Could have been, could have been better. You know, I think, listen, I'm just trying to help you again. Maybe go back and try to get your money back or have them retouch something up. I think that's because you would want me to do that as your friend because you know, everybody else is talking about it. You don't want everybody yeah. talking shit behind your back saying Michelle's lip job looked terrible. Nobody wants that. You would want me to be like, Hey, here's the thing. People are talking, get this cleaned up. You're going to thank me after it's done. Get this cleaned up. Like it's so easy <laughs> to dissolve filler in your lip. You know what you would say? This is how well I think I know you. If I said, Hey, I got my lips done and they look bad and I'm like really insecure and upset about it. You would say something like, I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. Like you, you wouldn't say, yeah, they're terrible. You look like a clown. You would subtly acknowledge. I would push it in confirm. the right direction. Yeah. I would, You'd yep. be like, I could see why you're upset. I could see. I could see. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, no. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I totally. totally I would. I would that. I would gently push you in the right direction because I know that's what you'd want me to do. And again, that's being a good friend. I don't know though how you ever bounce back from that because while I would appreciate your honesty, it would certainly still hurt my feelings. Sometimes you just want to vent to your friend and be like this weave looks bad today without them being like, yeah, that weave sucks. So this should maybe not be surprising to you, but you know, my wife, I try to give her compliments all the time. Tell her, you know, Hey, you look great. I mean, just the other day, like, I didn't, here's the thing for me is like, sometimes I like Maddie when she's more dressed down and casual than dressed up. And she knows that. I just think, I don't know. I just, I, that's always been how I've been, but there are times when she'll be like, Oh, Hey, I don't really like this. And I'll agree with her because you know, you want me to tell you that it doesn't look good or something is wrong. So if I told you that it was good, no, everything's great. You look awesome. You're, you're just a 10. I would be doing you a disservice. And some people can't handle that. Maddie, this is why we get along, why we're married and why she's the best is because she knows that about me and she can handle it. And she knows that I'm doing it because I love her. Not everybody can handle that. Okay. A couple things. So you like it, sweatpants, hair tied, chilling with no makeup on. Literally. Style. I have, I have heard that Drake line so many times and I have never related to a lyric more. Not, a, not all situations, but if you're dressed to the nines versus you can look good in sweatpants, no makeup on, that's more important to me. It just really is. Ugh, the sweatpants part of a relationship is the best part. As soon as you can get to that point, it's the best part because then it's nobody's faking anything. Nobody's trying to impress anybody. You can just relax and be you. That's why I like Maddie that way because we could do that. And some women look good dolled up and wearing a bunch of different makeups and doing all this stuff. And that's fine. I'm not discrediting you or telling you you shouldn't do that. I just kind of like the more relaxed look. That's okay. Everybody has their preference. But I think there's a difference in what you're referencing and telling your wife like, hey, maybe don't wear that shirt to dinner. I would never. It's not flattering. As opposed to saying, I hate the way your face looks right now. Okay, yes. <laughs> there's a yes, huge difference yes. because she can change her shirt. She can't just be like, hey, yeah, I know I got a bad plastic surgery job. You're right. I don't know if I would ever tell her, well, here's the thing. Say Maddie got plastic surgery, right? I don't know what I would do in the situation, but wouldn't it be my husbandly whatever duty to try to look out for her and tell her that, hey, something's not right here? And I wouldn't just come out and say, hey, it looks terrible. I would maybe like, you know, put my toe in the water, dip my toe in the water, see what it's like, see if it's warm yet. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't just come out guns blazing, telling her it looks terrible. But I do feel like as a husband, I got your back. I'm going to tell you when something's not right. So I love where your thought process is. As a woman, here's my advice. Here's what I would suggest. I would first gauge the way she feels about it because what if you think it looks terrible, but she's thrilled with the results and she thinks she looks amazing. And this was something she was really insecure about for a long time. And then she got it done and she feels good. And by the way, 
if she gets it done, you're the number one person that she wants to like it. She wants her husband to think she looks good. So you need to make sure 100%, 120% that she doesn't like it before you say, hey, babe, you got botched. And by the way, Steve, that's not just if she gets something done plastic surgery-wise. That's her haircut. That's if she does her makeup differently. That's if she has a new outfit on that she thinks is fashionable. She's trying to impress you because she loves you and your opinion matters the most. It does. And I, you're right. We're on the same page. I would never come out and just say, oh, that shirt sucks or like your haircut <laughs> sucks. But if she asked me and said, hey, I think it's a little too short or for example, like she's wanted to buy overalls for a long time. And I love, I think girls and overalls is an awesome look. I've encouraged it from the onset. But it's risky. Um, Overalls are very risky. They are. And it's hard to find ones that fit right or whatever. And so she thinks she found one and she was asking me what I felt about it. And I told her, I want her to be happy. And if you're asking my opinion, then I'm going to give you my opinion. But I would never come out and be like, oh, you look terrible in those overalls. Get out of here. Wait, but did you love the overalls or did you hate them? I like them. Yeah, I think they look good. It's, I mean, overalls is just a great fall thing too. It's, it's, you know me, it's all about, I'm all about the fall thing. You're thinking it's a fall thing. This is a Midwestern thing, okay? I am rubbing off on you guys so much that you think overalls are great fashion now. Overalls are like a hipster thing though, aren't they now though? They originated in the Midwest, but they've taken over like Brooklyn. I am kind of anti-overall. I think some people can pull them off very well overalls not for me just like joshua tree not for me not for you yeah not something i could ever pull i'm too short for overalls you have to be a supermodel and be tall and have long legs to pull off overalls in a cute way and i'm five four i have no business in overalls i forget that you're sneaky short yeah i'm so sneaky small it's so annoying what i wouldn't give steve to be five eight Ugh. do girls want to be taller that's that's another maybe that's another well, that, that puts you in a totally different bracket for dudes, though, because then you can't date anyone that's like 5'10 or lower. Here's the thing. Short girls want to be tall. Tall girls want to be short. Blondes want to be brunettes. Brunettes want to be blonde. Girls with straight hair want curly hair. Curly hair girls want straight hair. You always want what you don't have. No, that's true. If I was a girl, I'd much rather be short than tall. Unless Why? you were going to play in Ah, because tall girls, like say you're six foot as a girl. It's just not accepted i guess of a tall girl dating a shorter guy like whenever it happens you're like oh that's kind of weird she's taller than him I, maddie's shorter than me and when she wears heels she's still shorter than me but i i'm like oh like you're almost my height this is weird i don't like this and maybe i shouldn't think that way but that's kind of how it is so i feel like being a tall girl is kind of like a tough hand to be dealt in a way unless you're like playing the WNBA or something or a pro volleyball player or you're a model or you're a model super tall yeah um yeah usually if you're tall you're lean and Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise, Steve. I mean, tall girls can date shorter guys. And what did people say? It's, she's taller than him. But Tom Cruise is also like 5'5". Five, five. He's, sneak, he's sneaky really short, too. I think he's my height, yeah. Yeah, he's very short. The power of Hollywood. It's amazing. Uh, the power of a good filter, just like the power of Hollywood. Well, we wanted to talk a little NBA Finals, and there's no one better to talk about this series with than our friend George Sedano. He's a Miami native. He covered the Heat and the Heatles. He covered LeBron. And then now he's based in L.A., ESPN Los Angeles. He's covered the Lakers. So he is the perfect person for us to chat about this series with. So George, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? It's so good to actually see you. It's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I know. We're so pumped to have you. Okay. But first off, I'm obviously a baseball girl. I have been locked into the baseball postseason wall-to-wall action with the expanded playoffs. I know that the Lakers are up on the heat one, nothing. We have game two of the NBA finals tonight, the heat dealing with some injuries. So tell me why I should watch tonight. What, what's the, the allure of, of the game? Well, 
<laughs> Look, I mean, I think really you're watching tonight because it's like the ultimate David versus Goliath situation, right? Where the Heat, even at full strength, were not as good as the Lakers, but they, they play so well as a collective that, you know, they have such a great coach. I, I think the best coach in the sport at the moment. So I think that that made the series intriguing coming into it. It didn't mean that there weren't going to be blowouts or whatever. Like, that's just, you know, that happens in sports. But um, losing all three of their best players in some way, shape, or form to an injury in the first game is pretty deflating, you know, uh, where two of them may not play. One, I, I think, I feel confident in saying Goran Dragic won't play. You know, it's not official, but I would be very, very, very surprised if he played. Uh, Jimmy Butler will play because he's tough. Bam Adebayo will probably try to play because – He's tough as nails, and the injury will allow him uh, to potentially play. But I, I think it's that. It's like, wait a second. You know, can this wounded animal fight back, right? And, you know, we all watch these Discovery Channel shows, right, where, you know, there's like a, a lion, you know, chasing like a hyena or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, you think the hyena's dead. And no, lo and behold, the hyena bites <laughs> the paw of the lion and runs away and is able to get away. Right. And maybe that's what happens in game two. Like that's it's really like Discovery Channel, uh, you know, is what we're watching in the sense of, you know, the wounded animal theory. But I do think the Heat actually have um, some players like that are pretty good and that play well together. I, I just think they're completely overmatched with LeBron and AD. But in a in one game sample, crazy stuff happens. So why not? You know, I, I think it's worth giving it a shot and then just seeing how it unfolds. Do you think they were overmatched, though, even before the injuries? I mean, I think you had, I think you had what, Lakers in seven, I believe. Um, I did have Lakers in seven, but I think that ultimately, Sarudi, and you know this, man, in this sport, things get decided by the, the team that has the best players on the floor. And the first two players that you would pick in a schoolyard basketball game are LeBron and AD. So, um, but I, I think that the Heat were giving me very much so like 2004 Pistons vibes, mm -hmm. uh, 2011 Mavericks vibes, where the collective were able to overcome some challenges. I mean, they beat the number one, the number one overall seed in the NBA in five games. Mm -hmm. They beat a Celtics team that was really damn good in six games. So it's not like they beat a bunch of chumps on the way here. And Sedona, you say, like, all right, yeah, obviously LeBron and AD, you pick one and two. But you could argue that the next five players, even maybe even more, you might take Heat players, right? So, right. you know, that is the David versus Goliath thing, which is really cool. But here's the secret weapon that I need you to talk about that the Heat uh -oh. have or versus everybody else is they've got the Heat culture, right? So this Heat culture thing that everybody loves to talk about, especially everybody down in Miami, tell me why I shouldn't roll my eyes every time I hear somebody talk about Heat culture. Because you're an Orlando Magic fan and you're just <laughs> jealous, right? Like, I or think I'm that's objective. Or I'm objective. Yeah. No, it's not. It, it, look, I think that if you look at historically, right? Like, I can go back. Like, everyone talks about, like, Pat Riley's legacy as, oh, he gets the stars to play for a Magic and Kareem and Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Shaq, Wade, LeBron, Bosh, all that. And all that is absolutely true. But the other part about Pat Riley's legacy, which is where the culture part comes into it, is the development. And whether that was, you know, when he got to the Knicks and he had like a real say in development, you know, John Starks played in the CBA, like in the, like small gyms in the middle of nowhere that nobody was watching. And he was playing in an NBA finals as the second best player. Um, you know, Anthony Mason was on that team, another guy that was in a similar situation. And he was a key six man on those teams. 
in Miami, I can give you 20 guys in the 25 years that he's been there, um, maybe more, that they've just developed um, or resuscitated their careers because people thought that you should cast them off. And I think that that's really what it's about, right? It's that much like San Antonio has a culture like this, they treat everybody the same. And, you know, New England has this in football where Tom Brady's getting yelled at the same way as the guy who's the 53rd guy on the roster. You know, Pop is yelling at Tim Duncan the same way he's yelling at the 15th guy on the roster. And, you know, when, when guys, I, you know, I've had this conversation with guys like Jake Crowder is a perfect example who plays for the heat now. Right. And he, his first reaction when he got to Miami and they do these crazy things about like, you know, they measure your body fat once a week and you have to do a conditioning test once a week. Like that's the type of stuff you do in like football. You know what I mean? Like they don't do that stuff in the NBA in very many places, but everywhere Riley's been, they do that. But in Miami, he's taken it to like a different level. And it's funny because like Jay Crowder would like, I was told that the first day he looked around, he's like, D Wade did this for 15 years. Like seriously. (laughs) And they're like, yep. And he's like, all right, damn. And look, Andre Godala, okay, said it just the other day before game one that every young player in the league should go through heat culture because they would understand what it means to be a professional. LeBron James will say it, that those four years he spent in Miami was like going to military school, you know, and you learn to be a pro. And I think that's what it is. And the combination of that and the developmental aspect of it um, and just everyone kind of being treated the same you know, there's only a few places like that in the league. San Antonio's one. And Toronto has certainly started to kind of develop that type of culture. But I think Riley, with the mythology, makes it bigger than, than it is to some extent, for sure. But it's not like hocus pocus. Like, it's legitimately what they believe. It's the varying degrees of it, right? I believe it's real. I believe that they are maybe the, mil- the most well-run organization, at least now. Maybe them, Toronto's up there, right? Um, San Antonio, who knows anymore what the deal is there. They seem to slip a little bit, especially with Kawhi leaving. But I would never deny that it, was, that it existed. Let's remember, like, without LeBron, I don't know if we're holding this organization to a, such a high esteem as we are now. What, four out of their six finals appearances were be, you know, because of LeBron. Half of their finals wins were because of LeBron. Doesn't mean that they're not a great organization, but LeBron, I think, deserves most of the credit for like, mean, what, what it is perceived as now. The Spurs have six finals appearances, all with Tim Duncan. What does that mean? Every, every great team in basketball, particularly, um, I mean, well, not every, but well, no, even every. Like, I, who's the outlier here? The Pistons? They've got three guys that will probably be Hall of Famers on that team. We just didn't recognize it at that particular moment. Um, But you got to have elite level talent to sustain success. Um, I think the difference between the Heat and the other organizations right now um, is that they're aspiring to be the Lakers, where they've done it with different iterations Mm -hmm. of teams, right? Where, you know, the first Riley teams never got to the finals with Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway. But, you know, they ran into Michael Jordan like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like that they got to the conference finals against Jordan and Jordan beat them. Um, so, that, you know, there's a long list of people involved in that, in, you know, in that category. And then they got Shaq and Wade. And that combination, I mean, honestly, they should have been to two finals in that run. But Dwayne Wade busted his rib 
um, in that first, that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, even with that and Dwayne being hampered for the last two games, they still lost on like basically the last two possessions of a game seven. So I would say really since Dwayne Wade, like you could say LeBron, but since Dwayne Wade arrived in Miami, that's really when everything turned because Dwayne Wade was the reason Shaq wanted to play in Miami. Dwayne Wade was the reason LeBron wanted to play in Miami. Dwayne Wade's the reason Jimmy Butler is in Miami. So, um, you know, the combination of Wade and Riley, much like the combination of, uh, you know, Riley and Magic, let's say, though I'm not equating Wade and Magic as players. I'm just saying as far as the allure, right, of playing with mm-hmm. someone like that um, is the reason for their success. It's not LeBron. Everyone, LeBron clearly is, was the best player, you know, um, as far as his skill set is concerned to ever play for the franchise. But the most important player um, and the most important person in franchise history are Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade. None of it happens without those two. I want to ask you about Pat Riley in a second, but it reminds me of the, of the St. Louis Cardinals, what you're saying, because the Cardinals have obviously had a lot of organizational success and they get mocked throughout baseball all the time about the Cardinal way, but this is exactly what you're talking about. It's about a set of rules and more importantly, a culture and identity that it doesn't matter what the player is. It's about the Jersey and they have to to buy in. What's the equivalent of the Cardinals signing Deion Waiters and Hassan Whiteside to massive contracts? I don't have to, I, I, is that part <laughs> I mean, of the heat culture too? Like that's again. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Relax. Uh, I'll explain. Listen, I actually <laughs> had this conversation. I, I actually had, you seem very, very like, you know, you're, you're very ornery about this heat culture thing. No, listen, on a scale uh, of Frank Isola to, to you, I'm in the middle. I like to push your buttons a little bit. Look, I actually had this conversation with Pat at Levitard's wedding for 30 minutes. Well, I mean, it wasn't the entire 30 minutes. Like we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things he said was we made mistakes. Dude, I was on SportsCenter the summer of 2016 when they signed Hassan Whiteside and said, what are you doing? Like, this guy is not a, a max contract guy. But they weren't the only team that believed that. The Portland Trail Blazers were willing to offer him a max contract. Yeah. The Dallas Mavericks were willing to offer him a max contract. The Lakers had him in to offer him a max contract. So there were a lot of teams lined up. It wasn't like they were the only ones. Um, and by the way, all three good organizations on top of that. It wasn't like it was the, um, I don't know, uh, the, the, the Magic Hornets <laughs> or the Magic, right? All three. I, I was looking for something not to be, not to not to really upset you. I was. That's, that's why I was going Charlotte. I'm a realist. Hornets. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was good organizations offering the waiters thing. They went into that summer, and I'll give them credit for this. The summer of the waiters, uh, James Johnson, and all that stuff. Kelly Olynyk. They told those guys, "We're going after Gordon Hayward." Okay. If Gordon Hayward signs, you know, we'll figure it out with you guys. And if he doesn't, we'll take care of you for being patient. And I think that that was a sign of um, belief in what they had done in the second half of that year, because the first half of that year was a disaster, right? They were 11 and 30, and then they went 30 and 11. Um, I honestly think that they – believed in the mythology too much of what I just described, right? Of the culture, of the, we can resuscitate people's careers, right? And because they had a long history of doing it, right? So why wouldn't they believe that these guys would be no different? Um, and they signed them, it wasn't like they signed them all to max contracts. They signed Hassan Whiteside to a max contract. They signed Dion Waiters to 
you know, an average starter NBA contract, $12 million. They signed James Johnson to a $13 million deal, which is an average starter's contract. The same thing with Kelly Olynyk. They believed that they could build the team kind of they have now um, and do it with Whiteside as the centerpiece. And that was a miscalculation. But they clearly were able to see that very quickly. And I think what you should give them credit for is not only giving out those bad contracts, which Dave admitted to, but getting out of them. Like, they, yes. like who, who on God's green earth saw them trading Whiteside, not just cutting him, not waving him, trading him, okay, for assets, okay? Trading Dion Waiters, who wasn't even playing. He was eating gummies and seizing <laughs> on an airplane. Now, I'm not trying to make light of it, but that was the reality of what happened. Okay, I was in L.A. the next day when that happened, okay? And they were playing the Lakers. Um, it, it, you know, they got out of all of that. Justice Winslow ended up being a, a bust of a pick. They got out of all of that and turned it into a team that got to the NBA Finals. Like, so for even with their mistakes, right, like they're able to find a way to work their way out of it. And that's what good teams do. I was killing them for those couple of years. And des- I thought they deserved to be killed. But – that's just it, dude. Like, they proved me wrong. A good team is able to find a way out of that purgatory they were in, and they did it. But the common thread there is Pat Riley. He's the guy who's making all of this happen. And you mentioned you were hanging out with him at a wedding. I know you know him. Does he have the most swag of anybody in the NBA, where okay. swag is the most important currency, probably in any sport in America? 75 years old, and he's still, like, the coolest dude in the room when he walks in. It is wild. So – um, and, and just like he is, and what I've noticed from him is, and I'm not trying to say that he's lost like his competitive edge. That's not what I'm saying because he's still unbelievably hyper competitive. But what I think what's happened with him as he's gotten older is he's become more appreciative of the little things, which look is really a mantra we should all live by, right? Yeah. He's become less controlling. Um, he was a super micromanager. Okay. Like just to give you an idea, like, Everything had to come across his desk so much so that even the stuff that would run as like a promo in game on the jumbotron, like to wow. that degree of micromanaging. Okay. Everybody loves that boss. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, he's loosened up. He's just allowed the people and he's hired really good people right over the years to just do their jobs. And I think that that has actually kind of made him more mellow it's made him more appreciative of doing it in a collaborative way. Like, cause he has loyalists, right? Like he doesn't have employees. Like these people are his people, right? And you are his loyalist um, and loyalty for a long time with him was a one way street. You were loyal to him and you had to be loyal to the family. And look, there are, I don't, I don't want to have to get into all of it, but there are plenty of examples where people who were loyalists to him didn't feel like they, he was loyal back to them when, um, you know, push came to shove. Right. And that was part of the deal. But over time, he's become looser in that sense and more appreciative of the people around him so much so that, um, he told me at that wedding to tell someone specifically who I will, who will remain nameless, who I will tell you after this podcast. Um, Good. We like the gossip. He said, tell such and such, let's move on. Let's get over it. You know, I'm, I'm, I know, you know, stuff happened and I'd love to talk to this person again and, and be on the same page again, because life is too short. 
Um, and that really was the perfect example of just kind of the way he's, he's evolved, right? But still the coolest guy in the room, man. Like, he's got the best stories ever. Like, I love Eric Spolstra. Um, I think because we're also closer in age, we've got a lot more in common, right? Like, I think there's that. But part of me misses when Pat was more in the forefront just because there was a certain gravitas, which Spo has now reached, right? Like, he is, I think, the best coach in the league. He is he's no longer just Pat Riley's protege. He's his own man. He's got his own way, his own stories, his own way to motivate guys. You know, Pat is the master at that stuff. It's why he gets a hundred thousand dollars in speaking engagements for a a single speaking engagement. But I I do think that he's still just like, when you're in front of him, you're like, dude, that's Pat mother bleeping Riley. talking. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you can still have that reaction. And I have found myself as time goes by and I don't really bug him very often. I try to hit him up for one thing or another, like once or twice a year. And I end up having these conversations with him, whether it's over the phone or whatever, for like 30 to 45 minutes. And I always walk away going like, man, he's freaking awesome. You know, like I, I, I love this man. So yeah, he is. He's cool. He made Armani like a thing in the 80s, right? <laughs> like in America, like clearly in Europe, everybody was wearing Armani. You know, the slicked hair, um, he was supposed to be the Michael Douglas character in Tequila Sunrise in that movie. Like, you know, all the books, the speaking engagements, you know, just the, the different um, metamorphoses that he's gone through in his career, all of it. Like, you know, it, it's just he's he's a lot of different things. And I think that everyone just assumes that cool is one of them. And it absolutely is a big part of it. But he is the Showtime Lakers guy, which Jeff Van Gundy likes to say was his alter ego. But at the core, he's a fighter. Like he wants to win everything and anything. He will want to beat you at ping pong. And I love that about him. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing. He wants to win and wants to beat you down. You know, what seems really cool about Pat too, is you're talking about guys that lived the well-rounded NBA life. He would be maybe at the top of that, like he and Phil Jackson, who have just done so many things and experienced so many different teams, players, coaches, having played themselves. They're probably one and two, maybe. And Michelle knows this. I've always said, I don't think anything is timeless. I don't think movies are timeless. I don't think movies are timeless. Um, I think everything you can sort of look and say, oh, that's from that era. Pat Riley is kind of timeless though, whether it's style he gets along with younger players. The older people obviously respect him. He kind of is timeless. So maybe I'm disproving my own theory, Michelle. There's an awesome video, Michelle and Steve, of you can find it. It's on the Heat's Instagram. It's when the Heat won. They won game one against Milwaukee, I think. And it's Jimmy Butler pointing out Pat Riley, who's standing on like that second level <laughs> above the bubble and just kind of like, See, we, we did it. We did it. We, or well, maybe when they won the series, I don't remember. And it was something like that. It, they had done something. And he's pointing up, and Pat's just, like, you know, like, shouting him out, like, pointing back. And like, <laughs> you did it. You did it. Like, you know, like, and he's, like, fist pumping. And that's it. Like, Jimmy Butler is, like, the most eclectic dude you'll ever come across. Like, he is not, like, your normal athlete, okay? He is unbelievably 
uh, cultured, loves all, like, he's like the dude that flies to Spain on a whim because he wants to, like, just explore the country. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like Michelle. Yeah, that. Michelle yeah, has a lot of She is traits. like Michelle. I saw her. I texted her the other day that she should be creating a new Anthony Bourdain-style show. Mm-hmm. I, I was watching her Instagram feed. But, yeah, like, I think it's that, his, his ability to connect. And he's really just woven into the fabric of American basketball history from – dating back to when he played and beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in high school to, you know, who was Lou Alcindor back then to playing in what I think is the most important college basketball game of all time. Um, I think it was the 1966 national championship game against Texas Western, mm-hmm. where it was the first game that five black players started a game and he was on the opposing team. Um, you know, he was, um, he was a consultant for the movie Glory Road, which was about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously all the basketball stuff and all the pop culture stuff that we talked about, Armani, the slick back hair, Michael Douglas, all the Hollywood stuff and, you know, New York and then Miami. Like he's hit the trifecta of, of just, I think, of the coolest places, right, to be a part of in L.A., New York and Miami. Like no disrespect to Chicago. But I don't feel like Chicago's as cool as any of those three cities. Was Pat Riley the original influencer? I think you can make an argument, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, many people, how many people slicked their hair back in the 80s? Yep. You know what I'm saying? Because of Pat Riley. Like, that became a thing because of him. Well, we are going to let Rudy close it out with a basketball question, but I want to ask you this, because we have to do some sort of Miami-LA comparison. LeBron's yeah. obviously the perfect person. We did to too much us. sports. Let's talk. Let's do something else that's not sports. Come on, let's go. Well, let me ask you this LeBron question, and then we can do definitely non-sports. Yeah. Okay, but in your opinion, who is better, the best version of Miami LeBron or current LeBron? No, the best version of uh, LeBron is still Miami LeBron. It's the most efficient LeBron. First of all, he's 25 to, what, 28 years old or whatever it was, 29 years old. I mean, that's peak athleticism LeBron. So between the fact that Spo and those guys were able to unlock the crazy efficiency that he had um, and just how athletic he was – it was funny on the jump the other day we were watching um we did you know we do these like kind of eye candy things where they do like the top five this the top five that and it was just like top five lebron dunks after the whistle and (laughs) there was like three of them in miami where it's just like they didn't even count and you're just like those things would win a slam dunk competition it's just incredible stuff well the the one that he had uh that what that didn't count at the end of the first quarter i think right uh, where he does like the reverse behind the back right. thing. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, what, 35 year old? That's still ridiculous LeBron athleticism, though. We're, that didn't count. The red, all red heat jersey, right? Mario Chalmers lobs it up to him. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, for sure. No, but I'm even talking about it was, it was game one, right? Where it, I think it was at the end of the first quarter. Oh, you're saying in this game. Yeah, he yeah. did do that. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. this dude's, I mean, I know it's, it's so funny. Everyone's like, oh, LeBron, can you believe he's still doing this at 35? It's like, yes, we know this. Everyone <laughs> says it all the time. It's amazing. It's crazy. No one's what, taking it for granted. What, yeah, what he's been able to do, he's going to be 36 in three months. Dude, I, I, I can't even fathom, right, like what he has to put his body through to be able to do this, right? Because, yes, he's a freak uh, athletically, but you still have to put in the work to do that stuff. So, I mean, God bless him because – Lord knows I'm not. Like, I love nachos and red wine too much to put my body through all that. Well, Michelle's trying to convince me to do – have you heard of uh, 75 Hard? Ugh. 
No, what's that? Uh, okay, so I'm on, I'm on day two, George. So this guy from St. Louis, you know Supplement Superstores, Andy Frisella, he started this thing. Uh, he also does first form the supplements, but he started this challenge called 75 Hard. And I felt like everybody I knew was doing this. And so I proposed it to my show staff here in St. Louis and we're all doing it. It's day two. And peer pressure. Like, peer pressure. <laughs> and here It does work. I'm too afraid to fail. But here's what it entails. So for 75 days, you have two workouts. Each has to be 45 minutes and one has to be outside. You have to follow a, a diet of your choosing, but zero cheat meals. You have to drink a gallon of water. You have to take a progress picture every day, read 10 pages of nonfiction and no alcohol. What's the nonfiction for? Just to stimulate your brain? Yeah. So okay. you can lear learn something. Okay. And they say it's more of a mental challenge than a physical challenge. And it is day two and I am already about ready to tap out. Wow, really? Is that bad? Well, just think about your day and how busy you are and right. trying to navigate two workouts and one has to be outside. I'm trying to watch baseball, okay? I don't have time for this. Who has time to work out like this? So yeah, Michelle wants a beer and a hot dog. Watch she can't have that right phone. now. Watch it on your phone while you're outside. Oh, it's not the It's same. baseball. You don't have to pay attention to every pitch. Let's That's a good familiar. point. Who are you talking to? You know I'm paying attention to every single pitch. I've been waiting for this. I didn't even think the Cardinals would play this year. I'm right. going to savor this game. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, that sounds crazy. I don't think I would want to do something like that. No, no. I bailed out. But I will say this. For people like LeBron, for people like LeBron that stay in shape and all this stuff, I do think – I mean, obviously I wouldn't be in LeBron shape. None of us would be. But having a personal chef is probably – if you could say you could have anything in the world, yeah. not having to think about what your meals are and having someone cook healthy for you every single day is maybe the most underrated thing a professional athlete can have. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, DJ Khaled would say, major key alert. Major yeah, key. That is yeah. absolutely That is absolutely the thing there. Because, you know, if you eat out a lot, you don't know what people are putting in your food, how they're cooking it, how they're preparing it. Right. To have a chef to prepare it to your body um, for, you know, for fuel, in essence, um, I think is, is absolutely a, a huge underrated portion of this. Although let's not necessarily, uh, you know, dismiss the ridiculous... Uh, training methods that That's they true. have because I, I have seen the stuff that these guys put themselves through in a workout and I could never make it through anything like that. And let's be honest, carbs, they're just way cooler than abs. That's all. That's oh my God, carbs are like, so they, good. They but, just are. But here's the thing, like the, this is why I live in California because I can literally go hiking. This is what I do every day. I go hiking for about four to five, maybe six miles a day, sometimes longer, wow. just depending on what kind of day I have. Um, and, and honestly, just doing that, and I, I try to eat sensibly during the week, you know, and then on the weekends, you know, I don't go crazy, but that's usually when I'll throw in, uh, you know, maybe a, a Ben and Jerry's pint in the microwave to soften it up a little Ooh. bit. And in the uh, microwave? Wait a second. You got to soften it up. Soften absolutely. it up. Never yeah. done that ten, before. 10 seconds. 10 seconds is all you need. Wow. Yeah, seriously, okay. You've never done I've never that? done that before. No, nope, I've never heard of that. No, I've done yeah. that with butter to soften butter, but I've never softened ice cream before. Oh yeah, for sure. Michelle, like how, you do this. Yes. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. It just, because it, it just softens it up because if it's in the freezer, it's a rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so this way it's better. Uh, yeah. And, and I, my wine consumption, I try to do, <laughs> I don't try to get too crazy. Um, I try to keep it to like half a bottle if I'm going to have, you know, uh, some wine. I mean, the fact that the atmosphere here is dry kind of helps, right? So you can kind of carry over a bottle for the next day. Um, so, yeah, like, and that's my weekend. It's like I will eat, indulge on the weekends. I try to not drink during the week. 
And, you know, I, I basically go for a hike. I'm trying to think. I probably try to do it like 14 days straight and then take a day off. Wow. Um, and then, and I've lost like 10 or 12 pounds that way. And again, I'm not dieting. Like I'm literally just being mm -hmm. smart during the week and then just whatever the bleep I want to do on the weekends, you know? The hell with 75-25, all right? Listen, I'm, I'm already, I'm not even in and I'm out already, small minute. Oh, it's awful. Okay, well, we're gonna close it out with this. You need to help us kind of settle something here. So Saruti posed this question to me and I wanna pose it to you. What do you think is more of a red flag? If I went out on a date with a guy and he said he was really into Nickelback or he said as an adult, he was really into pro wrestling. Oh, Nickelback, for sure. <laughs> Nickelback for sure. Really wise to <laughs> pro wrestling. All right. So I, I don't even watch pro wrestling. And I haven't watched pro wrestling in 20 years, but like, I feel like pro wrestling is so much more mainstream than some band from like 15 or 20 years ago. It's not I, I even good. I don't even remember right, how we They weren't good to begin with. Yes. yes. I don't think Nickelback, and I'm not a Nickelback fan. I don't think they're any good. I would never put them on, but I don't understand when they became the number one this is the worst band I've ever heard, you know, power rankings deal. You know, like, I, I just feel like there are way worse bands and musical acts that I could think of than Nickelback, even though I don't like Nickelback. So then I posed the question because I just, you're right, there's like this whole mainstream wrestling thing. And I think I said it would be way more of a red flag if you introduce your new boyfriend, Michelle, to your group of friends and they said, hey, I'm a huge Nickelback fan versus, hey, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I think your group of friends would judge the wrestling guy. Maybe women would. What, what was your response to this moment? I said they were probably both equally high red flags. <laughs> and I also think pro wrestling guy probably likes Nickelback and Nickelback guy point. probably likes pro wrestling. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, again, I don't like either necessarily. Um, so, I mean, but what I would say about pro wrestling is this, is that do you have anything that you watch that you, that you feel bad about? Like you feel like this is so mindless, but I love watching it anyway. Yeah, uh, actually, Chris Long and I were just talking about this when we had him on the pod a couple weeks ago. You ever, you ever heard of Ancient Aliens on History Channel? I have seen, yeah, I've seen the show. It's, yeah. it's a terrible, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible show yeah, with right. these weird um, conspiracy theorists who believe right. that aliens uh, created the human race and are going to come back someday. And it's, it's, it's so stupid. But right. I love it. It's the most guilty pleasure thing I and have. And that's that's wrestling. It's really stupid, but people love it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really no different. And you know, it's no, no, no. Here's the difference, though, George, is that I, so I know it's fake. Do these guys know it's fake? I know, like they know it's fake. I just can't get over the fact that these grown men who are huge are running around in leotards doing fake moves on each other, like I used to do when I was six in my basement. <laughs> they are fake moves, but those guys do get hurt. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, you have to be an athlete. I get that. Yeah, like those guys, I, I mean, man, I've talked to a, a number of those guys over the years, and it's just like the type of injuries they put their body through uh, running around in leotards or whatever. I, I mean, those things are real, um, you know, more real than believing ancient aliens created the earth, I would say. <laughs> That's right. I don't so believe don't, it. I just watch it. It's entertaining. Steve. It's well, George, thanks so much for doing this. On the way out, what's your prediction now? Have you adjusted your prediction? Yeah, I mean, it's still the Lakers. I picked the Lakers initially, but I – if Miami can get a game, I feel like that is a pretty huge win for them, especially based on the way things have worked out for them from an injury perspective. And really quick, I, we don't really know when the NBA season is going to return next season. Have you heard anything? Do you have any guesses? So my understanding is that, and, and this is common knowledge, right, that their preference is to do it when they can have some fans in the seats, right? And I think that they're keeping an open mind about it, right? And, you know, they're targeting like, February, January, February, 
I don't see that being the case. But as we saw with the bubble, they were very flexible, right? You know, Adam Silver, literally until like May, you know, the first week of May, um, for weeks and months was saying, yeah, I'm not there yet. I haven't decided yet. We're still figuring it out. And then that first week of May, he finally unveiled kind of their plan. Um, so I can see him just kind of punting down the road a little bit until they have a better idea. I mean, the whole godforsaken thing is so fluid. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. it, it makes you know, it makes sense to just stay that way. Um, I hope that, you know, anyone who listens to this, you know, doesn't get mad when I say just wear a damn mask. If anything, just do it out of common courtesy. Shouldn't be controversial. You know I mean? Yep. Right. It, <laughs> right. First of all, it, you should always believe in math and science. Those things are inarguable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, I understand that that you practice medicine, uh, but the, the science of it is sound. The math is sound, right? Those are that's empirical data. That's inarguable. Um, but even if for whatever reason you want to make the case that that is, how about just be a nice person and just do it because it's good common courtesy, right? Like, so hopefully in light of everything that's transpired uh, over the last several months and in recent events that we know that that is kind of the way to go about it. But uh, yeah, I'm hopeful, Saruti, because um, I have not left LA. I have, uh, I've been very much in my own neighborhood. I've gone to the studio, you know, a few times when I've had to for work, but uh, for TV, but for the most part, I have been very diligent about staying here. I, I didn't really, I would have gone to the bubble um, had I been asked um, because I felt like that was going to be the safest place in America, yeah. to be honest, yeah. with you at that time. And it ended up being the case. I think that if I had to guess, I would say sometime maybe in the spring, late spring, I could see a potential for the start of the NBA season. But that is just total reckless speculation on my part. And based on the fact that they, they want some fans in the stands, right? And I think that if we can kind of control things, get through the the flu season and all that kind of stuff, right? And just everything that's going to come at us here over the next several months, uh, I think that there's a better chance of that happening, even potentially without a vaccine. Uh, Although I'm hopeful, right, based on what the science says, that we can have something uh, in that range too when it comes to that. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it. George, we know you're so busy. Thank you for taking the time to do this. We appreciate you. Next time I want to talk like, like, dirty tv shows that we all feel bad about watching i don't want to talk sports next time anytime you know that's what we do thank you guys it's great seeing you you too thanks so much to george sedano we are going to be locked into game two of the nba finals tonight it was great to talk a little life and a little hoops with sedano but before we get to overview steve i had asked you if you would do this workout challenge with me 75 hard and you made it seem like you were interested what happened i was interested Needed some time to marinate on it because it is definitely a big commitment. And I have decided, I've made the executive decision, my wife and I, that we will not be doing 75 hard. Why? Because. That was so annoying that I just did that, by the way. But I really wanted you to be my partner in crime on this. Several reasons. Um, I am into wellness and I want to be better when it comes to that. Although, again, I do think I eat okay. I could probably work out more, whatever. (laughs) But it's just a really bad time. It's a really bad timing situation for us. Talk to me in like January. Talk to me in the new year. I might be more open to doing it then when nothing else is on the calendar. But it's like a heavy time in the year when I want to enjoy my life. You know what I hear out of you, Steve? Excuses. I'm, giving, I'm, excuses. I'm not saying they're not excuses, but I'm just saying they're valid excuses that I feel like do not fit the lifestyle that I want to live right now. You're never going to get abs with an attitude like that. 
but I've always said the abs, the juice is not worth the squeeze. I'm not willing to put in what it takes to eat. Like you could work out a ton and if you don't eat right, you're never going to have abs. And I like food. I like eating. Sometimes I like eating shitty food. I'm going to do that. And if that means, if that means I don't have a washboard abs situation, I accepted that decades ago. Like I don't really care. I hear you. I hear you. And normally I would agree, but I'm priming myself for 2021 because we're going to wrap up this challenge on December 15th and I need 2020 out. The clock strikes midnight on 2021. It's a full go for your girl. Okay. <laughs> I don't care if it's January. I don't care if it's cold. Most we, important new year ever. The most important new year of my life. And so we are going to enter 2021 in peak form. I'm going to enter summer 2021 in peak form. How about that? Okay, done. Well, let's get to a review, Steve. Um, this one comes from Missing STL, five stars, said moved from STL to Palm Springs. Says, love the show, listen to Bernie and Carriker all the time, and used to listen to you and like the knowledge and banter. The pod is another great COVID distraction and connection to STL. Two things. Who goes to Joshua Tree in the summer? Amazing place, <laughs> but winter is best. It even snows there, and there's no snakes then. Joshua trees only grow there in the world. Serious rock climbing. Should have driven 30 minutes more and come to Palm Springs. Definitely more your vibe. Give us a try again anytime but summer. So Rudy's great also, but he lost the state and candy drafts. Oh, Fruit draft is a push. I will say, shouts out to this reviewer because he made a lot of great points. And I am now officially a Mamba's guy. They're delicious. They're awesome. And I can't stop eating them. I don't know if I can even buy them around here. So I may need you to ship me some more of them or I'm a buy them on or I'll buy them on Amazon or something, but I am definitely a Mamba's guy. So I will concede that I lost that part of the candy draft, but also Joshua tree. I didn't even know that was a thing in the winter. No snakes. You need to know when to go at what time of year. That's very important. And if that, if Joshua tree is so cool in the winter, maybe you need to give it a second chance. Yeah. The way that you feel about the diet and the challenge is the way I feel about Joshua tree. Just and not listen, I didn't go in the summer. I went in late September. That is officially fall. That is fall. It's still kind of summer, but yeah. To the reviewer's point, it was really hot. And when you say there's no snakes, what do they do? Just burrow in the ground? It's still warm in California. There's still a treacherous path to get to wherever you want to go because there could potentially be a mountain lion or a snake or something, right? That is Even an excellent winter point. Time. That is an excellent point. What snakes sound like they fly south for the winter or they, yeah. they don't hibernate. I don't think like bears do. What do snakes do? They just die? I don't know. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine next, on, next on the nature pod. Do snakes hibernate? Stand by. Where do snakes go? Whoa. Whoa. So our reviewer, obviously incredibly smart. We do have the smartest listeners though in podcasts. It's known. The Shelleys. The Shelleys, it's known. So smart. Okay. Unlike many warm-blooded animals, snakes don't actually hibernate in the winter. Instead, snakes go into a state known as brumation, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, where snakes become less active and their metabolism slows down tremendously. When the weather cools back down, they will go back into their brumation state once again. So it says, generally rattlesnakes, which is what we were dealing with in Palm Springs, Steve, emerge from hibernation in March or April when the average daytime temperatures reach and remain about 60 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. I'll just say rattlesnakes are living my ideal life. <laughs> they call it quits in the wintertime. They're not doing 75 hard. They're not trying to like look good. They just quit. They just go to sleep for a couple of months and wake up when it's nice out again. That's what I want to do. 
Yeah, I hate snakes. I'm petrified of them, as we know from last week's pod. But I kind of respect it because I'm the same. Unless it's 60 degrees or higher, I'm not coming out. Nope. It's a great game plan. What's the point of having your metabolism be super high in the winter? There is none. There is none. And to the reviewer's point, it was still, even though it was September, still 100 degrees when I was in Joshua Tree. So we're talking dead of winter when I need to go, but I won't be going back. I just won't. I will, however, go to Palm Springs. Seems very beautiful there. Um, I heard the the vintage and the antiquing is amazing. Right up my alley. I could see you being a big, being a big antiquer. Yeah. Oh, love a great antique. Love an antique. All right. Well, thank you to Missing STL for the review. Thank you to Sedano for jumping on with us. We know he's busy, so we really appreciate the time. Thank you to everyone for listening. Steve and I will be back in action next week, but until then, don't Photoshop those abs. 75 soft. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.